Year after year, one of the most consistent items on my do something list is to have fun with fashion. Exploring my personal style has added more joy to my everyday life and helped me feel more like myself on the regular. However, I have found that there are some brands I would love to explore more, but they are out of my typical price range, or there's the it item that I would love to try out, but without the commitment of keeping it. Enter Armoire. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, you can build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new to you styles. I just did my quiz and have selected a few dresses for the summer from Bowdoin, one of my favorite brands that I can't typically afford. And I also got a double-breasted black blazer from a new-to-me designer, a classic item that I have been on the hunt for but too scared to commit to until I know it's the one. For you expecting mamas, for those who are working or those who are style-obsessed, who want to switch out your wardrobe with quality pieces without the designer prices, check out this woman-owned company that has your style and your sustainability in mind. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash progress. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash progress to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to About Progress, a podcast devoted to ordinary people who are striving to make realistic improvements in their lives and reach their goals, however big or small. We are building a community of men and women who love to push themselves to overcome obstacles and make something special of their lives, all while maintaining a healthy balance. In short, people who know life is about progress, not perfection. Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in. Whether you are a regular or a newbie, I am so glad I have this podcast to share with you each and every Wednesday. If you haven't had a chance to subscribe or leave a review on iTunes, I'd love it if you could take a few minutes to do both. I know it's exhausting to hear it every week and annoying, but those are the things that give this podcast a better chance of sticking around, and I sure would like to stick around. You can find past episodes in my archives as well as on my website, aboutprogress.com, and you can find more about me on social media at About Progress. 
I'll have a short do something highlight for you at the end of this episode. And let's talk about who you'll be hearing from today. Amy Nash, she introduces herself on her social media platforms like this, quote, I'm Amy, former lawyer, now stay-at-home mom in the California Bay Area. I love food, photography, books, travel, exercise, adoption, and pie. Definitely pie, unquote. I loved that intro so much. Amy has a great balance of being a go-getter, achievement-oriented, but also one who embraces the journey ahead of the outcome. She has been through a lot, including five failed adoptions, so she has a lot of wisdom to share about how to make it through hard things, be passionate, and find joy in life through trying. So let's get to it. Hello, I am here with Amy. Hi, Amy. Hi, Monica. Thank you for being on the show today. I would love it if you could give us an introduction. Sure. Um, So my name's Amy, and I'm in the California Bay Area, um, where I lived with my husband of almost 13 years, which is crazy, Um, and our two daughters, who are almost six and three, and I'm a former law school graduate um, and former lawyer, but now I stay home with my girls, and I have a little food blog as kind of my side hustle hobby. Well, so it sounds like just with that little introduction that you have had quite the ride with all of your, um, with your careers and with your, um, with your ventures too as a mom. So, so I am, I am wanting to talk about you being a food photographer and I know you're also a photographer and a writer as well. Um, because of your blog, you know, you write so well in there. I wanted to know first, um, about your path to this really diverse resume. Can you tell us um, how you became this person with so many different passions? Sure, yeah. I It was kind of a roundabout thing, I guess, which I think has been kind of the story of my life. Um, I never planned on going to law school until my husband and I were married, and he said he was going to law school, and started taking practice exams and I thought that sounded like fun and so I did it too and kind of went to law school and ended up loving it um, and it was a great fit. But then um, after I practiced law for a couple of years, uh, we had our daughters and I start, I decided to quit and stay home after working for a year after our first daughter was born. And after about a year or two of that, I felt like I really needed an outlet. Um, I I always had a lot of interests and just needed something to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had this really great example in my sister-in-law who started taking up photography and taking photography classes and getting educated. And I thought that sounded fun and interesting. So I kind of followed her along and learned about photography and how to use my camera that I had always just shot in automatic and once I started doing that um, that was kind of my passion for a while and then um, and then I had another friend about a year ago who was a photography friend and she started posting food photos and we started talking about that because I love food Uh, and she said you know you should try it like you should get into food photography and maybe start a food blog and 
so that's what I did. And it's actually worked out great because it kind of combines three of my passions, which are food Mm -hmm. and photography, and then actually writing, which is something that I, I really focused on a lot in law school and did a lot of with writing and having a food blog uses all three of those things that I, that I love. So it's kind of been a great fun fit for me. Oh, that sounds totally perfect for you. And I really enjoyed following along with you. I, I follow you on Instagram as well. And yeah, your photography is, is beautiful. Maybe you'll push me to go into manual mode a little bit more. I'm, I want to hear about law school a little more. I I imagine law school to be highly stressful and competitive. And I imagine it to be a place where, um, you just feel surrounded by really smart people. And I wanted to know what that was like for you and how you were able to get through law school and still keep maybe your self-esteem intact and what you did to preserve it. Oh, absolutely. Um, Law school is super competitive and it's competitive just to get into it. Mm -hmm. And the people who do get into law school tend to be really competitive in the first place because it's hard to get into. And, and then you get in um, your class on your first day and look around the room with all these overachievers. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of this wave of, I can't do this. I can't mm-hmm. compete that kind of washes over you. And, and everybody goes through it. So the nice thing is we're, we were all in the same boat. Mm-hmm. And I, I knew that. But... Um, yeah, so it was a really stressful time. You were given hundreds of pages, literally, to read each night of like dense legal text. And um, going through that was just really overwhelming and, and hard to deal with. Um, and, you know, there were people who, who left and, and just didn't decide that was not the right place for them. And mm-hmm. I totally understood that. Um, for me... It was, I I realized, I think really early on, and I think this is really helpful, that I was not the smartest person in my class. Um, And I knew that I was never going to rise to the top of my class by basing it off of, like, brains alone, because I, I just, I didn't have that. But I decided that I could work hard, and maybe work harder than some other people, even, and so I found that for me, it was a combination of like working really hard and just not being too hard on myself mm-hmm. and, and giving myself some, some room to breathe yeah. that um, took a lot of that stress off early mm-hmm. on. And then you don't have any um, exams or quizzes or anything in law school to judge how well you're doing until the very end of the semester when you have a final exam and your entire grade and rank in your class is based off of those exams uh, at I the very end of the that. semester. Yeah. So there's no, there's no sounding board. There is no way to know where you're going to end up. And everybody in law school always talks about the, the top 10% is kind of the magic number of the class and anybody who's in the top 10% gets job offers much more easily and they just that's that's where you want to be and that's every, kind of everybody's goal going into law school is to be in the top 10% but you don't know that 
until you get to final exams. There's no way of figuring that out. So um, I got really lucky and made a really good close friend early on in those first couple of weeks of law school. And she and I started a study group with a few other uh, women in our class. And it was just a tight-knit group of the five or six of us who always met together to study. And we started studying really early for mm-hmm. final exams and practicing with each other and, and working with each other. And we were very different people. And to this day, this particular study partner of mine, uh, her name is Brooke, and she thinks so differently from me. We just have very different approaches to things. And I think that was a big part of our success because we both ended up doing really well. Um, and by the end of our first year, we both were in the top 10%. In fact, most of our group had placed really high in our class. And that's incredible. When it, it really was. And we, we felt like, and we attributed that to the group dynamic and how we all pulled each other up, even though we all thought very differently about things. Um, we we didn't self-select as the smartest women in law school or, or people in our law school. We just um, brought each other up by working together really hard with what we had. And that was really beneficial for all of us. And I think they would all tell you the same thing. Oh, I love that so much. <laughs> and then there's a whole girl girl power thing there, too. You know, there was there was that lack of competitiveness in that group. Absolutely. We were really willing to share. There is complete 100% openness. We shared all of our notes. We made outlines together as a group that we worked from as a group. And I know there was another, um, just from, from my experience and what I saw, there was another study group that was really committed and dedicated, a group of guys. And we would always see them working together. And we knew we knew that they ended up doing really well, too. Hmm. So it wasn't just our group that this happened to, there were a couple of study groups that just really worked well together. And because you ended up in those groups, you tended to do well. So would you have qualified, you said that you went, you were surrounded by overachievers in this group. So would you not have qualified yourself as an overachiever before you got into law school? No, I would say that I've always been an overachiever. Um, I'm, I, I'm certainly like an ambitious person um, who tends to have a lot of self confidence and self motivation. And and when I see something that I want, I I go after it. And I've always kind of lived by um, the motto that Eleanor Roosevelt said something. And I won't get this quote perfectly, but like do something every day that scares you, mm. or or something along those lines. And I've kind of taken that approach in my life where if if I'm feeling a little intimidated by something or a little scared to try it, that's when I kind of uh, just grip my teeth and I go for it because I feel like that's probably a worthwhile thing. And that's served me really well in life um, because the outcome has generally been good for me. I, I've been lucky and... Um, but I, I think that I have a natural like gumption and confidence and just a desire to go after something that I want. And what, what kind of lawyer did you become? 
I became a litigator, so I worked doing corporate litigation at a large law firm in the in Silicon Valley. A litigator is someone who you would think of as going to court. That's not what I did much of um, at a large law firm. When you're a young attorney, you you do mostly um, support work for the the senior partners um, in the law firm. But I I did things representing pharmaceutical companies, um, technology companies, uh, white collar criminal defense law, that sort of thing. And then I also had some really great pro bono experiences where I um, represented uh, people seeking asylum in the United States, and I actually really loved doing that. So you did that on the side of your busy career? Um, it was actually part of my law practice. Oh, and great. one of the things I loved about my law firm is they really encouraged and supported that. And that was part of our work. We had a partner at our firm who was completely 100% dedicated to doing pro bono work and set up those opportunities. Wow. And all we had to do was request them. So I loved that. That is so great to hear that, especially with a bigger firm. Like you were saying that you were in. Yeah, big firms can get a bad rep, but mm-hmm. a lot of them have really good pro bono programs where they they can do that sort of work for people who need it. We did asylums, and I also did some guardianship cases, which were awesome. So how many how many years um, were you, did you work as a lawyer altogether? I only ended up practicing for two years. Um my husband and I had been married for quite a while mm-hmm. um, by the time we finished undergrad and law school. And then um, we adopted our daughters and it took a while. And this is a process that I had known about since I was a teenager that when um, I married and eventually did have children that they would be adopted. And oh, really? so, once, so you knew that ahead of time. Yeah. I had known mm-hmm. since I was 15 years old that I would um, never be able to get pregnant. And so oh, once my, yeah, it's, it wasn't ever really hard for me, I guess. Really? Um, it's, it's, it's been harder as I've been older, but okay. there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who deal with infertility and mm-hmm. they don't know why and they struggle for a long time. And for me, mine was explained infertility. We understood why, and it was never in question. So it's not like we tried and tried for years. I Um, I just have a genetic condition that made it so we would be adopting and that's how we would grow our family. So after graduating law school, we we got all the way through law school and decided once I had practiced for a year that we would start the adoption process. And, Mm -hmm. And for some people that takes years and years. And for us, we got just really lucky and we were so blessed to um, be found by this amazing birth mom who chose us when our profile, our adoption profile had only been live for about six weeks. And then our daughter was born. So it was a really amazing and miraculous process. Yeah. Oh, wow. You know, we had, we had a recent guest who talked about she adopted five children and it's just incredible to hear about it seems like every single adoption is a miracle, how it comes about and how they're placed with your you, you know, and it just seems like an incredible process, but also, you know, 
incredibly stressful. Uh, what was that? What was that like for you transitioning into young motherhood? And then with your um, second adoption, how was that transition? Um, it was hard in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It was really amazing and really wonderful. And I was just yeah. so, so overjoyed once um, our daughter, Clara, our oldest was born um, and came into our lives. And I was able to stay home with her. I, we had a great maternity policy and I had six months maternity leave. Oh, that's fantastic. And we should all live yeah. or maybe just work where you worked. <laughs> I'm going to say Silicon Valley, we should all live there, but I'm sure that's, that's pretty abnormal. That's so it, great. It was definitely unusual, but it was it was great and a great mm-hmm. experience. And then I went back to work, and it was really hard. It was brutal, mm-hmm. honestly. My husband is also a lawyer. We both did law school at the same time, so we were both working at big law firms, yeah. which meant we were working big law firm hours, which mm-hmm. are intense, to say the least. Um, and just our daughter was in daycare, and it was it was really hard. We didn't see her nearly as much as we wanted to or would have liked to have mm-hmm. seen her. And after um, after a year, we were able to, I was able to just stay home and decided that that was the best decision for our family because we didn't feel right about me continuing with my career the way that it was progressing um, with mm-hmm. hours just getting more and more intense. And so we... We made a very conscious decision, and it was hard. It was really hard to make that choice. But we were so happy with how it worked out for us, and we knew it was the right choice for our family and our particular circumstances. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that was because we knew we wanted to adopt again. And we were, after a year, we were able to start the adoption process a second time, and that the second time around, it was nowhere near as fast or simple as it was with our oldest daughter. And we experienced a lot of failed adoptions between our first adoption and the time that our second daughter was born. Ones where we would fly to different states and meet with potential birth moms. And we were even present for the birth of some children um, who we thought were ours for a few days and and then they didn't work out and each one of those was Mm gut-wrenching um really difficult to go through Um, because it wasn't just like a you know a few days things most of those we developed months-long relationships four and five and six month-long relationships with these potential birth moms and um emailed them and texted them on a daily basis and and then they changed their mind in the end, which was absolutely their right. And and we understood that this was the hardest decision they possibly could ever make. But it was really hard to go through that mm-hmm. time after time after time. Um, so part of the reason why we decided I would quit and stay home was so that we could focus on our, our daughter that we did have and so that we could deal with the turmoil that our second adoption was putting us through, which was totally worth it when our daughter Rose was born and mm. we're so grateful for her. How many, how many failed adoptions did you go through? So we had five, oh um, my goodness. that, that I would say were really genuine ones, which I, I think is, 
actually like it's it's a more common circumstance than you would think in the the world of adoption. It yeah. ha- happens to a lot of people. Mm. Unfortunately, I, again, I I had a really good small but close group of friends that I had made just through blogs. Mm-hmm. I had blogged about on our family blog about our adoption plans and had connected with some other couples who were hoping to adopt and they had been through the same things and mm. there were a couple of them who would call me when these would go through and, and they knew what I was feeling and experiencing and and it was just so so beneficial to have someone to listen to and to know that they had been there too. And you know, I I I want to know more about what you were saying about how these these uh, birth moms had that right, and it just seems like you are giving them such grace. I mean, you're not denying yourself of the sorrow that you experienced and just how traumatic that that was, but you're giving them so much more grace than I think most people would. How were you able to give them that? How were you able to have that perspective of, of this, of, of these times? Um, it wasn't, it's, it sounds easier now, maybe mm-hmm. it, it wasn't easy at all um, to go through that. But when you very first start the process of adopting, um, there's a, a lot of requirements uh, for adoption in, include, you know, there are background checks and physicals and references and things like that. But one of the things that I found super beneficial was um, there were education hours required before we were approved to adopt at all. And mm-hmm. during those education hours, you know, I I read a lot, um, I feel, about experiences that birth mothers go through and, and what what that's like and mm-hmm. not that I can ever fully comprehend like as much as I understand and and feel love and 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 try to understand yeah I, do, I don't think anyone can fully grasp what that feels like until they're facing that decision mm-hmm. um and having that perspective um and and that education before we ever even were feeling really like personally involved in an adoption setting um, was really helpful because when we went into it, um, I knew it was a possibility. We yeah. we were we were we were aware of that, and so we tried to keep our hearts as open as we could, um, and show as much love as we could, and we prayed a lot. Um, and our faith was a, a big part of of that experience, and and I think one of the reasons why we connected with the birth mothers who did choose us in the end. Hmm. So, so tell me about Rose and, and how far apart your girls are, just what that was like, um, finally adding her to your family. Uh, so our girls are two and a half, almost three years apart in age. Mm -hmm. And it was just so exciting when she was born. Um, we had had all these other adoptions that just hadn't ended up going through and they they just seemed to be one after another after another and as soon as one would fall apart and we'd be dealing with the fallout and devastation of that we'd get an email from a new birth mom and 
Um, it just, there was never a break over that. That it was about a year and a half of, of really trying hard to find another birth mom um, who wanted to choose us to place her baby with us. And um, so when Rose was born, it was just, it was just, we felt this like completeness and we felt great about it. And mm-hmm. it was just, she just really, really completed our family, we feel like. Oh, I love that. Oh, that's beautiful. I, I think you have so many unique perspectives. We already talked about the grace that you were able to give in these really hard times, but you also have a unique perspective of being both a work mom, a working mom, and a stay-at-home mom. And oh, you know the mommy wars. They're they're all over the internet. They're in our neighborhoods. They're they're everywhere. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yeah, so you you have probably a unique lens of of these discussions and and how women can be towards each other. Do you have any thoughts on just that whole <laughs> the whole thing? Um, what it's like to be both? Um, it's super hard to be both. Yeah, and I think there there's. I think when you're in that situation, um, I, I've been really fortunate to have a lot of other friends who are working moms, other lawyer moms and accountant moms who have worked or are working. And, and so I've seen both perspectives mm-hmm. and you get judged for giving up your career yeah. or you get judged for keeping your career. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's judgment in both ways and there's, I've for sure learned there is no right answer and you have to do what's right for your family, Mm -hmm. for yourself and your children and your husband, your spouse. That's it's, it's a very personal decision. And I don't think anyone should really judge because it's, it's hard. And for some families, there isn't an option. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very true. We're lucky that we have like that. We have both had that option. Where so many don't. Absolutely. I definitely feel that way. And, you know, you already talked about how as a state, when you did transition to a full-time stay-at-home mom, even though you already had been for six months prior, um, you know, at the beginning of Clara's life, I don't know if that is a hard transition too, it seems like, especially when you have been more achievement-oriented and determined there can be this loss of identity too. Um, well, I guess in motherhood in general, but I would say, especially with stay at home moms, um, when it can be like groundhog day with the chores and, um, the repetitive um, nature about what we do at home. What was that like for you just learning how to still have your own identity and your own passions? Um, yeah, that can that was definitely a, a big learning experience for me of uh, of seeing what that was going to be like. Uh, again, I had another really good friend who gave me some really great advice before, even before our oldest daughter was born. And I would always see her with her kids, and they were always out and doing things. And I would ask her like how she did that because it was just amazing to me how she did so much. And she said she just decided early on that she was going to be that way. Mm-hmm. And she was going to get out of the house every day. And so I, I decided that's something that I wanted to do as well. And 
so I just kind of made that one of my my goals and I just started leaving the house and, and getting outside and trying to interact with other people um, and that was really great I, I think my mom was a good example for me too in that um, when she had five kids and she when I was a, a young teenager she ended up going back to school to get her master's degree wow. um, so when so when I was in like a really formative stage I saw my mom carve out this piece of herself um, where she just really valued education and she wanted to get her master's degree and three nights a week she would we were living in a small town in Nebraska during this time and she would drive an hour and a half both ways so it's like three hours of driving three nights a week to attend classes at the nearest university and um, that is so impressive. And that was all during all during high school for me, and it was just such a good example for me. And that's I actually wrote my law school admissions essay about my mom and oh. what a what an example she was for me. And so when I became a mom, um, it was important to me to retain a sense of self mm-hmm. to to make sure that I was that I still mattered. You know, mm-hmm. which I guess sounds silly and maybe selfish, but I, I totally believe in self-care and self-love for moms. And I think too many of us are way too hard on ourselves. And and so that was, like, really helpful for me. And it's one of the reasons why I have pursued other interests, like um, learning about photography. I wanted something that would stretch my mind or teach me a new skill and and help me to grow or with my food blog like I wanted to I I felt like I was a pretty good cook but I wanted to try new things and um, try things that I'd never tried before I made a list of all these foods that I had never made and thought would be fun to make and just started making them and, and learning how to do it and I just like having projects and I guess I just like being busy I guess you know I have this this campaign that I've been trying to push for a while called do something and it's short for do something that scares you. And I think that's your whole life. (laughs) You know, every day you just, you, you do something that can be intimidating and a little scary or stressful and you try it anyway. And you know, the results of that are, I, I think if not, it's not about uh, the successes that you've had from it. It's more about this the sense of um, confidence and self-worth that that you touched on. And it seems like this has been an important foundation of your family, this adventurous spirit. And I wanted to know what you could say about that, how this, um, I don't know, the sense of just, just try it has played into your family life. Oh, sure. Um, that's, I definitely think this is something that I have done. And if I do anything well, it's probably that I will try things and I'll, I'll be, um, daring. Like I like to consider myself daring about things. So Mm -hmm. when our daughters were really still pretty young, like our youngest was 18 months old and Rose was 18 months old and Clara was, barely four years old, we decided we were going to take them to Thailand and Cambodia and do a trip with the girls. Uh 
and it was, um, I mean, we were facing like a 19-hour flight with these really young kids, and we decided, you know, it might be awful. It might be a terrible 19 hours, but let's go for it, because we won't know unless we try, and Mm. it ended up being like one of our favorite experiences that we have ever had. And we've done a lot of travel before the girls came along. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is still one of our favorite things that we've ever done. We had just the best time with them, um, introducing them to new cultures. And we washed elephants and fed elephants bananas and rode elephants through the jungles with the girls. And we went out on boats with them and went to a floating lantern festival with our four-year-old who Mm. was in love with the movie Tangled and it was just like (laughs) Rapunzel and it was just it was just magical a magical trip um and we almost sucked ourselves out of it because it was intimidating and scary to do that and we just decided yeah and we just decided you know what it's scary we've got to do it Hmm. oh so you you said you won't know unless you try I love, I love that. That's so true about so many things. What's another example of that for your family where you tried something just, and just, just to see where it took you? Um, I think law school was actually Mm -hmm. an example of that because I had never considered becoming a lawyer. Um, but when my husband started taking the practice exams for law school and I saw that a lot of the practice exams deal with these logic puzzles, uh-huh. um, which is something that I had loved doing ever since I was a kid. I was this really nerdy kid. And I remember one year when I was in fourth or fifth grade asking for logic puzzle books for Christmas and, and getting all these books and spending Christmas break, just doing these nerdy logic puzzles because that's the type of kid that I was. I didn't um, even know those and, existed. Oh yeah, and they're awesome. They're they it's embarrassing, but they're all these crazy questions that are about like five people and they wear these different outfits and they have these different pets and they go to these different schools and then there are clues and you're supposed to figure out who has what anyway. It's it's super nerdy, but I love them. And, and so that's what so that's I, what being a lawyer is then. But that right, like so, it's like oh, this is just a big logic puzzle. Yeah, a lot of it. At, at least they feel like that's a good indicator of how successful you'll be in law school. And so I just started taking the practice exams with him and doing really well, not because I was super smart or anything, but because I just had a lot of practice since yeah. I was a kid, thinking huh. that way. Um. And then I just decided, you know, I'm going to do law school, too. I mean, why not? What else am I, what else am I going to do? I, and and so I just went for it, even though it wasn't something that I had ever foreseen for myself. And it ended up just being this amazing fit that mm-hmm. I just, I just loved the law and I loved learning about the law and, and studying it. And it was just such a satisfying experience for me to have that constant challenge um, of of just trying to do the best that I could. And and so I just loved it. And it's something that I 
might have talked myself out of if I had thought about it too much and thought, mm-hmm. well, why do I want to do this? There's, there aren't any other lawyers in my family. And it seems like a lot of people tend to go into law if they're, you know, they know someone who has practiced law. And I knew nobody who had ever done law school. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that I just went for it, which, I mean, could have resulted in catastrophic failure. It could have left law school, but it, it was just, it was the right thing for me. And I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't have given it a try mm-hmm. and given it my best shot. So, Is that something you would like to return back to? Or do you see yourself going a different direction, perhaps when you're, when your girls are older? You know, I'm not sure. Um, and I've thought a lot about it and I, I still don't really know the type of law that I practiced with at a big law firm was really, um, intense, um, time wise. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I don't see myself going back to that particular practice. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe a different type of law mm-hmm. possibly, but for now, um, I think I am just going to focus on staying home with our girls and volunteering at school a lot and, and keep working on my food blog, which has kind of been a hobby, but is something that actually a lot of people turn into a, a career. It's, it's yes. kind of a, maybe a good option for me. Um, and that seems to be taking off really well for you as well. I mean, everything you, you've done looks so professional. It looks like you have been doing this for a very long time. You just have a good knack at it. You know, this, this could be your path. Yeah, maybe. It's funny because actually a friend of mine from childhood brought up um, on Facebook the other, just the other day, like last week, she said, you know, do you remember when we were kids and you brought these cookies to my house that you had like made up with your mom? And I actually remember this. Like I remember these particular cookies that she was mentioning. And apparently I didn't remember this part of the story, but she said that I told her then and this would have been fifth or sixth grade that when I grew up, I wanted to write a cookbook. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> and she remembered that about me. And here I am, like, writing my little food blog. Yeah. And so I thought that was really funny that, like, I've taken this really circuitous route to fulfilling this dream that mm-hmm. I had as a kid and actually vocalized. So cooking is something I've always loved um, and something that I've done for a long time, but yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting that she remembered that about me. So what is it really like to be a food blogger? Um, it's a lot of fun mm-hmm. for me because I like to try new things and I like to make up new things and put my own spin on different foods and things. And because I, I love traveling and we've gone to a lot of different countries and I like experimenting with new um, flavors and and things like that. I will go to like stores um, or farmer's markets and try to find like a vegetable that I've never cooked with before or a protein that that I've never cooked with before and just buy it, not even knowing what I'm going to do and then figure out Mm -hmm. what I can make with it um, just to challenge myself. So that's, um, because it's fun and it's to me it's it's interesting and it's something that I can do that you know my family sometimes enjoys and sometimes <laughs> does <laughs> but but um but as far as like 
how it all works. Um, I usually make things, I, sometimes they make things in the middle of the day. Now I'll make our dinner like early and we just reheat it and eat it for dinner That's because, because I want to take my photo photos when I have natural light Uh in the middle of the day. And I don't always have that later in the evening when we're actually eating dinner. And when it comes to dinner time, I can't really photograph what we're going to be eating because everybody's starving and they just want it on the table and they it's really annoying when I'm trying to take pictures being like just wait you can eat in five minutes I've got to get a picture of this so that's kind of like my my real life situation is we eat a lot of leftover reheated leftovers because I make things early but that also works out great sometimes because now that our girls are getting older we have tap dance and gymnastics and Mm -hmm. swimming lessons and a lot of those happen in the afternoon and I don't have a whole lot of time in the evening to be making dinner and when yes. I've made it you know in earlier in the day it's already ready when we get home so it kind of works out great and on a lot of levels I think I need to steal that idea and and what about your girls are, are they adventurous eaters as well yeah they're pretty good eaters Rose is three and so <laughs> she's still she's going through a phase yeah, right still, yeah. now But for the most part, they're great little eaters and they're kind of weird little eaters sometimes in that they, our girls are obsessed with vegetables and which I know sounds, I mean, that's probably the dumbest thing you've ever heard in an interview for somebody to say, but they are like, I can bribe them with carrots way better than I can bribe them with candy and they'll do anything for a well, they call it a full carrot, like the big carrots yes. with like the green leaves still on them. Yes. They think those are the best. And if I offer them one of those, they will do anything and jump through any hoop to get it. That's hilarious. You really are dangling a carrot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For them. Like, like a literal carrot. You're that absolutely right. That is hilarious. It's, you need to write awesome. a whole post. I don't know if you have, if I missed that, but you need to write a whole post on and how you've done that. That's incredible. Um, I, I also love to hear about goals and we all do it so differently. You have mentioned that you have, although you are an ambitious person and you are daring and you just try things because you, because you want to, uh, you also said that you are roundabout and how you, um, have, have come on to some big things in your life. And, what is that like for you with goal making in mind? Um, so as far as goal making goes, I try to cut myself a lot of slack because for a long time I feel like I made these like really big ambitious goals and if I didn't achieve them or measure up, I just didn't feel like great about myself and, and that was just not right. Mm-hmm. for me to feel that way and and I didn't want to treat myself that way and I um I realized that you know I'm just going to make smaller goals which I this is not like news breaking information or anything but um I guess when I first started food blogging I heard this concept by another like really prominent there's a food blogging couple um Bjork and Lindsay Olstrom I think is their name from pinch of yum, which is this big food blog that probably everybody's heard of. And they talk about this concept called 1% infinity, where if you just do one little thing like each day, but you keep 
adding to it like each day, um, it, eventually you're going to get to where you want to be. And I'm, I'm saying this, I, I'm definitely not describing this as, as well as Bjork does, but um, I kind of took this concept to me to mean that, you know, I work on like one little thing each day and I try not to like put too much pressure on myself about it. Like maybe it's just, I'm trying to figure out um, a lighting situation for a photo that I'm trying to take, or I'm working on my food styling, or I'm setting up an email list for my, my blog or something like that. And I, I don't worry about all of the other things that are involved in running a successful food blog. And I just worry about like one little thing and I take care of it because I can do it like that night once my girls are in bed asleep. And sometimes it works. Like if it's a photography related thing and I'm trying to figure it out and sometimes it doesn't work and I have to do it again, Mm. you know, the next night. But the idea is you keep working on it and eventually you're going to get to where you want to go. You know, I was just going to say that speaks to um, that philosophy that there is a time and a season for everything. And, you know, there are going to be phases for all of us where we we are able to have those gung ho, big, ambitious dreams and like a really set to do list every day that corresponds to them. And there's times where we need to be more focused on other things. And not that you take the back, the back seat, but I like what you're saying, how that is so much more achievable for so many busy people out there who have young families as well. Like that is what we need to hear. It's, it's okay to be to well I think the thing is though that you are still trying and that's what it really comes down to trying is better than than never knowing what possibilities could even be out there oh absolutely I think that it's so important to make that effort to try and not to worry so much about the results I think that the real the real lesson and the real value and and for me the real satisfaction comes in the effort not Mm -hmm. the outcome Oh, yes. I can I can see that about myself as well. And I think sometimes when we get so focused, when we are so focused on the outcome, even when we get to that, if we are only focused on that, it doesn't feel as good as we expected it to, you know, <laughs> or then we set it even higher, the bar even higher. I don't know. It seems like that can be the case in a lot of a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. Because sometimes you just don't have control over the outcome. Mm-hmm. At, at least when it comes to food blogging, like the funny thing for me is I'll post these recipes that to me, I just think this is the best food I've ever made and the pictures are beautiful and I'm really happy with it. And then it goes nowhere. Yeah. It gets no mm-hmm. interest. Like it doesn't take off on Pinterest. And then I post something that, you know, is good, but it just starts taking off and does mm-hmm. just gangbusters on Pinterest or uh, bringing traffic to my blog. And I find that I have the same amount of satisfaction doing the work. And it doesn't even matter to me quite as much what the outcome is, like which ones are popular, because I just enjoy and I feel good about what I'm posting and, Mm -hmm. and, and what I'm doing. So that's where, like, and if I was worried about, you know, if, if like, where I found the most value was which posts were 
being the most successful, then I don't feel like food blogging would be a great fit for me. And it wouldn't be nearly as rewarding because there are a lot of duds, I guess, that don't resonate with as many people as, as with me, I guess. Yes. And I think a lot of, um, a lot of pursuits people have, they'll find it similar. If you have the, the, the main push be and the main drive to be what the outcome is going to be, you're, you're just going to be disappointed. <laughs> and I love what you're talking about, how it's just, it's more about the effort and you know, that, that journey word that is so popular right now, but it's, there's just no other way to describe it. It's the journey that is more important. Um, where can people find you if they want to uh, follow your photography? I know you have a separate account for, for that and your, your food and your food blog. Yeah, so I'm basically across social media at House of Nash Eats. Mm-hmm. Um, Eats, E-A-T-S. My, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, E-A-T-S. It's like food, you know, House of mm-hmm. Nash Eats. And that's my Instagram, and the blog is houseofnasheats.com, and I have a Facebook page that's House of Nash Eats. It's, it's, I have that on all social media. I'm on Twitter, too, but I don't. I don't know how to use it. Yeah, me, me too. I'll, I'll make sure those are in the show notes for people so that they can can follow along. I am really um, just looking forward to exploring you even more, especially on Pinterest. Do you have a Pinterest page as well? Yeah, I do. It's, how, it's also House of Nashi. Okay. And I always post my own recipes on there. Great. Um, you know, I have a, I have one final question for you and I ask this to, to most guests. It's what have you learned about yourself the past 10 years? Oh, wow. Um, I guess to just not be too hard on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, the past 10 years was a huge, huge time in my life. I mean, that's, that's talking, starting and finishing law school and starting and my law career, and then starting my family with my girls. And there's during that time, you know, there's been a lot of um, great experiences. And I've had a lot of successes, but there's also been a lot of really, really hard things that I've gone through um, with failed adoptions and um, law school classes that mm-hmm. didn't always go the way I wanted them to. And I've learned that I just, I can't be too hard on myself um, because I, I think I have a tendency to like naturally go that direction and, and want to get down on myself and it doesn't do me any good. That just causes me grief and stress and it's just, it's not the way to treat yourself. So I think that's, really what I've learned in the last 10 years is to cut myself some slack and give myself some credit. Hmm. I love that last phrase, especially. It was such a pleasure speaking with you, Amy. Thank you for coming on. Thanks, Monica. It was great meeting you. Amy, thank you again for being on the show. Your positive attitude really brightened my week as I edited this podcast, and you've inspired me to keep trying things that intimidate me and have some more adventure in our lives as well. This is a good time to go on to our highlight today for Do Something, which is short for Do Something That Scares You, a campaign I started to encourage people to try new things from big to small. And there's more information on that in the show notes as well if you're interested. 
Today's highlight comes from me. <laughs> Guys, I'm scrambling here. I'm so sorry about that, but I'll just be honest and say that the that doing this podcast is all kinds of wonderful and all kinds of work. I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't think it was 100% worth it, and it is. But just so you know, it requires so much courage on my part to reach out to people. I don't enjoy that part of the hustle, feeling like I'm annoying people who I think need to be on the show. I know I've mentioned that before, um, but you know, last week was just hard in that area for me. I asked a lot of people and only heard back from one, and I'm not saying that uh, to throw myself a pity party. This is just me saying I don't enjoy this part of what I do, but it's necessary and it brings uh, it brings on good things. And I love where I end up because of this hard thing I have to do for me, which is hard. So I'm going to keep trying. So that's the do something for this week. Thank you for indulging me on being, I guess, self-congratulatory on sharing that highlight. I would rather highlight you, our listeners. I haven't heard um, much lately, so I would love to hear what you have been doing lately that scares you or to share something that you, you know, a friend has done or loved one. And I would also love if you would nominate people that you think need to be interviewed on this show. Today's interview with Amy came from a nomination from a listener. So these really do work. You'll find my contact information in the show notes, and you can always direct message me on social media at About Progress. I'll see you next Wednesday for another special monthly podcast, the ones where I do it based on a theme. And next week is going to be on technology, how to use it, not abuse it. It has been something on my mind for quite a while. I will have a few Uh, short snippets from some guests as well as some of my own thinking on it and I don't know just what I think uh, can help us move in a positive direction with how we are using technology in our life for good and how to get control over some bad habits maybe so I hope you will join me next Wednesday for that and until then take care of yourself Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.